Right. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful as always that you called us together to be here in this place right now, but that you have called us to you, that, that you have just made it clear of your great love for us, that you call us into a relationship here and now that can grow and flourish as we anticipate just something that's unimaginable, and that's this relationship with you uh, forever. So I pray this morning that as we hear your gospel proclaimed, as we hear the scriptures read, that we'll be reminded of that truth, that you are drawing us to you, that you are up up to something. And pray that you would open our minds, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we can receive that good news today. We pray that, as always, that our hands, our feet, our mouths would be put to use, that we could be beacons to that light, that we could be a voice of hope and reconciliation in a world that really is just kind of full of noise and chaos. So we pray that this would be transformative for us today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said. Amen. So today I want to read a passage from 2 Peter 3. Uh, if you want to go ahead and get Pew Bibles out or your Bible apps or your own Bible, uh, 2 Peter 3, we're going to read throughout the morning, verses 8 through 15. And just a little note, it's almost at the end of the Bible. Get to Revelation, you went too far. So go back. Uh, before we do that, while you're getting that ready, uh, I want to set this up a little bit. Um, Richard Mao, he was the president of Fuller seminary during the time that Sabrina and I uh, were being trained so that we could be here with you now. Um, And he would always say that some of the most urgent, critical questions that the church has to wrestle with are one, what is God doing in the world? And then two, what role do we play in what God is doing in the world? So his questions really concerned here and now. And the truth is that historically the church has really wrestled with finding this balance between our focus just on eternal life and then these questions that Dr. Mao raises, what is God up to in this life and what does it have to do with us? So in the first century, uh, Christians, they had this same problem. They had to find that same balance. And the truth is they were being mocked by their culture. They were being mocked by a cynical and unbelieving world. They were being teased because they were seen as just uh, sitting around waiting on a God who the world thought uh, probably doesn't even exist, but even if he does, he's not up to anything. He's definitely not coming. So the Christians are being teased and mocked for holding on to this belief. In uh, verse four of 2 Peter 3, Peter quotes them. He says, they will say, where is this coming? And he puts it in quotes. Where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Nothing ever changes. They're asking these first Christians, the world is asking these first Christians, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting on someone to step into history and change things? Creation just goes on and on, nothing ever changes. And see, the unbelieving world didn't believe that even if there was a God, that he would get involved in our lives here and now. They didn't expect divine intervention in daily life. So they would then offer an alternative to this young Christian community. They would say, so do whatever you want to do. Why not just live it up? Why not live your best life now? Focus on yourselves. You only have this life anyway. That's a really cynical argument, but it's seductive 
And I think it's still a seductive argument today. Nothing ever changes. Just enjoy what you can while you can. Right? We even have a little catchphrase for it now, right? You only live once. (laughs) That's what we hear even today. And we might be tempted to believe it because every day the reality is we wake up to troubles. There are real troubles in this life. There's sickness. There's the death of people that we love. There are financial issues. We have Mental and emotional concerns, relationships fall apart, the powerful oppress the weak, there's injustice, there's instability of our systems and even of nature itself. It's a lot to wake up to every day. So the cynical world around us is asking us, what are you waiting for? And we might be tempted to turn that question back to God and say, what are you waiting for? Look at what's going on. What's taking so long? We long for him to come and make things right. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So let's turn to 2 Peter 3 and start to read. I'm just gonna read verses eight and nine at first and we're gonna talk about this throughout the sermon. Uh, So Peter is addressing uh, his people and he says this. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. During the Advent and Christmas season, we get together and we remember, we reenact the preparation, the waiting for Christ to come. It is this sweet, beautiful story And we should take the time to do that, to remember and reflect on it, to celebrate it. But y'all, we're celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago. He already came. So today we have a tension. There's a tension to Advent and Christmas within the church. We are still waiting. And we are waiting because he's promised to come again. He's promised that one day he will make all things new. He will make things right forever. So right now we're sitting in this in-between time. We're sitting in between the time when his kingdom's invasion began and it was an invasion that started when the king got into a manger. And it continues on until the day when he finally wipes away our tears, when he wipes away all the worries and fears that we have in daily life, all the things that cause us such pain and trouble. We're in the middle of it. And the truth is from our perspective, As we sit in the midst of all that, it does seem like he's taking his sweet time. So here's the question. Is our faith, is it all about just sitting around and waiting? Are we just supposed to try to drudge through day after day because all that really matters to us is what happens after we die? Is that what our faith is about? Or do we believe that God is actually up to something in this world here and now as we wait for that incredible day when we are resurrected, when we are made new, and when we are with him forever? Are we just sitting around waiting to die? Is that the good news? Or did Christ come so that we may live? He tells us really directly in John 10.10, he says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, and everybody say it, that they may have life and have it to the full. 
So I've got three questions uh, this morning, and these three questions we're going to take to the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Apostle Peter, and we're going to ask him to guide us through all this. The first question is, what are we waiting for? What are, what are we waiting for? The second question, is it worth it? <laughs> is it worth the wait? And then finally, what do we do while we wait? All right, so uh, first question, what are we waiting for? And as I mentioned earlier, there's really two sides to this question, what are we waiting for? One is about substance, and the other is about timing. The question of substance is directed at you and me. What, what is it we're waiting for? What are we waiting for? And I think, look, look, we all, I hope that we all know following Jesus is not just about sitting around and waiting to die. He came that we may have both eternal life and life now lived to the fullest. And scripture testifies this all the way throughout, all the way back in the Old Testament. The prophet Micah says this, what does the Lord require of you? Many of you know this passage, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What is required? To sit around and wait? No, to act, to love, and to walk. And he tells us how to do those things. This is life lived to the fullest. Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, she has these really strong words in Luke chapter one, a strong and powerful response to what honestly should have been terrifying news that she was going to give birth to baby God, right? Like that would be terrifying. Listen to some of what she says. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their throne, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he's sent away the rich empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Are those the words of a frightened, timid teenage girl who's just sitting around and waiting to die? Does that sound like somebody who believes the extent of what God is doing in the world is limited to what happens in the afterlife? Or is that a strong young woman who's convinced that God is up to something now, that he has plans for this world now, and that it has something to do with us? To me, it sounds like she's convinced that the normal way of our daily life, it's about to be turned upside down. And that's really good news for some. For others, maybe it's not so good news. Everything's about to be turned upside down. Those who were suffering and worried and lonely and in pain, they're gonna find hope and they're gonna find relief because this child is coming. She says those strong words because she knows that God is about to step into time and space. That creation does not just go on and on as it always has. God is attentive to the concerns of this life, even as he gets things ready for us in the life to come. God can do two things at once. He's a good multitasker. She knows that everything is about to change in heaven and on earth, now and forever. So that's the substance. That's the what we are waiting for. But like I said, there's another side to that question, a question of timing. And this question is addressed to God. What are you waiting for? Like I said, we are longing for him to make things right once and for all. 
So Peter answers this question directly. He says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What is he saying? He's telling us why he's waiting. Why is he waiting? Because not everybody's part of the family yet. He's waiting because there's work to do. There's still repentance to be found. There are people who have not found their place in the family yet. And God is waiting until everyone finds their way home before he'll let the party begin. And y'all, the world doesn't even realize it. But to a lost and broken world, that is really good news because the alternative is terrifying. That's why he's waiting. So uh, the next question, uh, next question, is it worth the wait? Um, So let's continue to read. And I do wanna tell you as we read this next part, it's gonna sound really difficult. It might remind some of you of Revelation, um, but I want you to remember what I said a couple weeks ago. Scripture describes God as a consuming fire, but fire from God is not punishment. It's symbolic language that reminds us that God is gonna fundamentally transform heaven and earth. And he's gonna do it so he can be in relationship with us again. God's fire cleanses and it purifies. Okay, so listen as Peter continues. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Like pay attention not only to what happens on earth, but pay attention to what happens in heaven. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements destroyed by fire, the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You see, we know that this is not about an angry God who's extending his punishment. This is not a curse sent down on all creation because it's beyond redemption and he just wants to start over. Yes, the earth will be laid bare. There will be fire. But look what it says in verse 12. That same thing happens in heaven. His promise is that we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And for that to happen, for God to redeem and restore broken sinners like me, God will turn heaven and earth upside down. If you're a parent, if your child were lost, what length would you go to to find them and bring them back home? In heaven and on earth, God will shake and burn away everything that separates us from him. He is making all things new again. He will rid this world of injustice and evil once and for all, and he will bring us home. A day is coming when our relationships will be redeemed and restored. When financial burdens are taken care of, when our mental and our physical state is healed. Even nature itself will no longer be ravaged by the chaos of its own destructive forces. And y'all, this isn't new to the New Testament. This is present throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 65 is one of the first places where it says that when the kingdom comes, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Nature itself will no longer function the way it functions now. Y'all know one of my favorite passages is in Revelation 21. 
says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old way of things is gone. That is what we're waiting for. And it is absolutely worth the wait. But in the meantime, I truly believe that we get little proofs that this isn't just a hope, that this is real, that our hope is not in vain. And that we don't just have to sit and wait for the end to see this come to fruition. Even in this life, damaged relationships can be restored. Have any of you ever had a damaged relationship restored? I imagine most everybody has. Financial worries can be resolved. Good things can come from the damage caused by nature. Physical, mental health can be found. I've shared this with you guys before. Most of you know that I have struggled with anxiety and depression in real ways. When I was here before, for about four years, from 2008 to 2012, my body was sick and so, so was my mind and my soul. I suffered from intense anxiety and depression. It was almost debilitating. My only job here was to teach and to sing and I could barely do it every time. I would feel so overwhelmed that I was always aware of how quickly I could get out of this room if I had to, for four years. And I still have moments where I feel that rise up again, but y'all, it's nothing like it was. And it's not because I did anything on my own. It's because God acted. He became my hope and my comforter in a time of real confusion and chaos. And he did that in some really unique and creative ways. He surrounded me with good doctors with an appropriate amount of medication. And he surrounded me with people who cared, a faith community that got into my life, that kept me afloat and brought me to a place where today I don't need the medication anymore. Now, simple prayer practices and engaging with others take me from despair to hope. In that one part of my life, not because of anything that I've done, but in that one part of my life, I have proof that it gets better even while we're waiting. Now, there are other parts of my life that are a total mess and God's still working on those things. But at least in that area, I've got some proof. And I try to share that with as many people that need it as I can. So there is healing. And in this life, it won't be total and it won't be complete, not yet. But if we look with the eyes of faith and hope, we can see small proofs. We can see evidence that God is working for our good through all things. That God has stepped into history. That he is concerned with what happens in our daily lives. We can find little proofs, evidence, that history and creation are not just this daily drudge where nothing ever changes. Groundhog Day was a movie. It's not real. <laughs> God is in the process of turning reality upside down. And for those who are in Christ, that's really good news. And it's worth the wait. So I told you three questions today. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for relief from the chaos of this life as we anticipate and look forward to life with God forever. And God is waiting for the lost to be found.
for the whole family to come to the table before the feast begins. Is it worth the wait? Yes. It's hard. But yes, it is worth the wait. Because the only other option is the cynical, hopeless perspective of the world that nothing ever changes. So yes, it takes patience, but it is worth the wait. And that brings us to the final question, what are we to do while we wait? What do we do now? How do we bear Christ with patience as we long for Christ to return? So let's ask our friend Peter again and see what he has to say. He says in verse 14, uh, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Does it sound to you like Peter's encouraging us to just sit around and wait and see what happens? No, there's work to do. Now listen, when he says make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace, Peter knows what Paul and all the other New Testament writers knew. They knew, they know that we're not capable of doing that on our own. We can't make ourselves spotless and blameless and at peace. The assumption that they're making is that filled with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, that gift that's given not to a select few, but to everybody who's in Christ, that when we are filled with that power, we are being made spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And we are given the opportunity to participate in that. So practically speaking, this plays out in a million ways, but I can think of two in particular um, that I think our passage is pointing us toward. And first, we can practice blamelessness and peace that is being formed in us by the Spirit. We can practice that on each other. Y'all, God gave us these relationships as a way of working things out. Like I told the earlier service, do you guys realize that we are the family of God? Do you know what that means for eternity? Think about it. Yes, you will be united with God, but who else is gonna be there? Yeah, the person sitting next to you. Bill Ford's gonna be answering God's rhetorical questions in heaven. So let's start working out our drama now. (laughs) Use this time to make peace among us. Be blameless among one another. Live as a family working things out so that we can enjoy that peace forever with each other and with God. So one way we can do this is by practicing patience with each other. And a really simple place to start is just to start listening to each other. And look, this is an area in my life that God's really at work, right? I'm probably worse at this with my kids. I'm worse at it at home than I am in other places. I'm quick to react when my kids start talking and I'm working on that. God's working on that in me. But he can work on all of us. Help us to start really listening to each other, to try to understand what the other person's saying, even if they're not using the right words. Teach us to stop listening past each other to stop overreacting when somebody uses certain words or phrases that upset us. And y'all, I mean this to both sides. (laughs) Nobody has a monopoly on that. Stop just listening for things that might give away somebody's political leaning or their perspective on things that matter 
to us before we decide if we're gonna act aggressively or peacefully. If we listen to their heart. Like when you talk to somebody who's young today, um, you're gonna hear a lot of talk about justice and equality. And then that conversation usually will start to get really specific and as you're talking, they'll seem to maybe support a group or a party or a perspective that you don't support. And maybe they're even part of a movement that you're like really against. But slow down and take a deep breath and learn to listen at what is at the heart of their concern. It's justice and equality. Guess where those values come from? They come from scripture. Justice and equality are not common values throughout history. All you have to do is look at history. They are a gift from scripture. Secular philosophers, humanists, historians will tell you that this is true. They will tell you that a just and equitable moral ethic comes to us from the Old and New Testament. Because those two things are directly linked to what the kingdom of God is up to, to the work that God is doing in this place. That's part of turning an unjust world upside down. It's what we're all waiting for. So I'm convinced that, that those issues can be entry points into deeper conversations about faith if we can just learn to listen past some of the language and listen deeper into the surface deeper than the surface, if we can listen to their heart, we might find that we actually agree on some really important things. So parents and grandparents, like when your kids and grandkids start saying crazy things over Christmas, like they're not crazy. <laughs> they care about something really important. Listen. And I bet if you listen closely enough, you're gonna find a core belief that you share and that can guide you to a conversation about scripture. It can guide you to a conversation about what God is doing. You can disciple your kids and grandkids by taking their deepest concerns and showing them how they line up with the concerns in the heart of God. And kids, your parents and grandparents aren't crazy either. <laughs> Listen to what's really on their heart. And you might find that you agree on a lot more than you realize. We can practice patience with one another. We need to. And we can start by listening. And we can also find peace with God by practicing patience with him. By practicing patience with God as we wait for these things that we hope for. As we wait for the promise of the new heaven and the new earth. As we wait for his plan to finally come to completion. And y'all listen, there are days, like a lot of days, where I find myself really frustrated with God. And if I really think about why, it's because he's not operating by my timing, he's not on my schedule, and he hasn't asked me about my plans. <laughs> okay, it's funny, right? It's funny when you hear it said that way, isn't it? Is it not true of every one of us? We have schedules, we have plans. Why is he not listening and adapting his to ours? You see, it is typically our disagreement on God's timing that puts us at odds with him. 
It is good that we want him to come quickly, but we've got to learn to wait patiently. And we gotta remember why we're waiting patiently. What did Peter tell us? Why is God being so patient? Because the Lord is not slow to keep his promise. He's patient with you. Remember his patience with you before you were brought into the family. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What does God want? Who does he want to come to repentance? Yeah, what's the word? Everyone. Now, I don't think that means that everybody does because we have free will. But what's his heart? What does he want? Everyone. He wants us all. Y'all, he's waiting on your neighbor. He's waiting on your coworker, your golf partner, your classmate, your teacher, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle. He's waiting on everyone to come to the table before he will let the feast begin. That means that there's still work to do. And y'all, we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. So the only way that I know to practice this kind of patience with others and with God, to set my timing and my agenda aside to trust in God's. By the way, do you notice that a lot of our disagreements with each other are about those same things too, right? Disagreements on timing and plans. There's a lot of commonalities. But the only way that I know to set those things aside, to work on this kind of patience is to turn to scripture and turn to prayer. So just like we practice patience with each other by listening, that's how we practice patience with God. It's like ask yourself in your prayers, what's the percentage of time you're talking versus you're listening? You don't have to out yourselves. But I would imagine it's pretty imbalanced. So the practice is from now on, If you pray for one minute, how much time do you get to speak? 30 seconds. And then you spent 30 seconds listening. People always say they want to hear from God. You can't hear from God if you're not listening. You can go home from now on, and for every minute you pray, you get 30 seconds. And God gets the rest. It's a good practice, it's part of spiritual formation. It's one of our values, our values of biblical literacy and spiritual formation. Y'all, they're not just good catchphrases. They're deep with meaning. They are central to what it means to wait for God, to know that the wait is worth it. And while we're waiting, to let scripture and let God's voice give us the biggest possible picture of exactly what it is we're waiting for. Because I'm telling you, do you know that the Bible talks less about heaven than almost anything else? Do you know why? because you couldn't even understand it. You couldn't even conceptualize it. I remember when the kids, when Jennifer was pregnant with the kids, if you had kids, you know this, I would talk to them. Like I'd sing to them. And what would they do in Jennifer's belly? What would they do? They would kick, they would move. They would react, they could hear me. So what if I told them, hey kids, today I'm gonna talk to you about physics. Because when you're born into the world, you're gonna need to have a good understanding of physics and chemistry. (laughs) There's no way they could conceptualize what this world is like until they're in it, right? 
There's no difference between us and heaven. The Bible talks very little about it except to assure us that it's real because we just couldn't understand it. So what it does from beginning to end is it paints the biggest possible picture of what we can hope for. And we don't get that picture if we don't turn to scripture. And in the midst of all the chaos that we see around us every day, we can't see it clearly if we're not listening and if we're not looking. That's the stuff that we can do each and every day. Amen? So how do we bear Christ? We bear Christ with patience, persevering against everything that opposes the will of God until the Lord comes. Come quickly, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to know that you're up to something, that you were changing things, that you were turning things upside down, that you were making things right, but we long for it to happen, like now, because some days we're just exhausted. So God, remind us that you waited long enough for me, you waited long enough for everybody else in this room right now So the people outside, they are worth the wait too. They deserve to have that hope too. They deserve to have the biggest possible picture of what you are doing in this world and the place that you are preparing for us in the next. Remind us every day that you have not left them alone to figure that out on their own. You have given them a gift, the real church your people. Give us the courage and the strength to do it. To remember what we're waiting for, to remember it's worth the wait, and while we're waiting, to get to work. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said.